This is Mark Stein. Winter is a big blah, so it's time to get out of town with the ultimate cabin fever reliever. Join me on the 2024 Mark Stein Caribbean Cruise, sailing from Florida to the Bahamas, Jamaica, the Caymans, and Mexico for a full week of sun, sea, and civilizational collapse. I'll have special guests from around the world, from America, Canada, Britain, Europe, the House of Lords. And we'll do all the things you like about the Mark Stein Show and Stein Online, but close up and on water. More details at steinonline.com or marksteincruise.com. The Stein Online Clubland Q&A begins right now. Uh, January 19th, 2024. Greetings from America's diseased and depraved capital city. It is 3 p.m. Deep State Standard Time, 4 p.m. in the beautiful Canadian Maritimes, 4.30 p.m. in fabulous Newfoundland and beyond the Americas, 8 p.m. in London and Dublin, 9 p.m. in Paris and Berlin, 10 p.m. in Kiev and Tel Aviv, 11 p.m. in Yemen for all you hooties, hooty hooting out there, 11.30 p.m. in Tehran for all you Newfoundlanders who move to Iran for the half-hour time zone, 1.45 a.m. in Kathmandu for all you Iranians who moved to Nepal to check out the quarter-hour time zone, 4 a.m. in Singapore and Honkers, very sorry about that, 7 a.m. in Sydney and Melbourne, still kind of sorry, 9 a.m. in Auckland, a far more convivial hour for the Kippers and Kedgeri, and even deeper into, th- into not uh, Saturday, uh, what am I talking about, even deeper into Saturday in His Majesty's dominions across the Pacific, where my trial is probably over by now and you're all laughing at the guilty verdict. Uh, As I said, I'm in Washington. I am in the roaring traffic's boom. Can you hear it? No. That's because it's deader out there than any Class 6 dirt road in northern New Hampshire. Everyone's gone home because the snow accumulation is up to a sixteenth of an inch. So shelter in place until further notice. Is the federal government closed today? It was uh, earlier this week, I think Tuesday, Wednesday, um, as I remarked to my bellman, who's from the snowy mountains of Morocco, if the Canadian government closed uh, for this level of meteorological devastation, it would be open maybe three days a year, which would be a great thing. Uh, Man versus Simberg and Stein in courtroom 518 of the District of Columbia Superior Court. Week one is over. The court doesn't sit on Fridays. 
will resume Monday at 9.30 a.m. And don't forget, coming up in March at the High Court of England, it's Stein versus Ofcom. At least it'll be a decent-looking courtroom, I think. One of those King's Bench courtrooms. Uh, and in between uh, these twin trials of the century, we should have just enough time to squeeze in the Mark Stein Caribbean cruise. So why not treat yourself to a stateroom thereon? Like the man said, it's a week of sun, sea, and civilizational collapse with Ava Velardinger broke, Conrad Black, Leilani Dowding, Bo Snurdly, Michelle Buckman, and more. Go to MarkSteinCruise.com. Uh, for more info, it'll be after uh, the New Hampshire primary and South Carolina and all that rubbish. So you won't be missing a thing because you can just do like everybody else does and get a helpful Democrat activist to send in your mail-in ballot to a state you don't live in. And fingers crossed the judges will have graciously permitted your candidate to remain on the ballot. On this day in 1901, January 19th. Queen Victoria was stricken by paralysis at Osborne House on the Isle of Wight. She asked for her beloved pet Pomeranian, Turi, to be laid in bed with her. Three days later, with the Prince of Wales and her grandson, the German Kaiser, by her side, Queen Victoria died and has been downhill ever since. Okay, let us get to your questions. Johnny Woodrow says, Mark, I was ill in bed yesterday and so had the chance to watch the opening statements. I'm sorry to hear that, Johnny. I was actually ill in bed yesterday, but I had to go to court. Um, will you be publishing your opening statement? Um, I think we might be able to. I, I can't. I've overheard the, uh, the, the court stenographer and the judge talking about whether the proceedings should be sealed, which is, would be absolutely disgraceful if that were the case. Uh, but I don't believe in the end uh, my opening statement was sealed. So we will try and get a transcript up. Actually, uh, you'll be able to hear a reenactment of it in the latest edition of, Anne, of the Anne and Phelim Scoop, Anne and Phelim's podcast, uh, which includes uh, dramatic... Uh, reenactments of the essential moments uh, of the case. Um, uh, Johnny uh, continues, uh, I know you are struggling with health and in the wheelchair, but it was like an episode of Ironside. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> you want Raymond Burr when he's being Perry Mason, <laughs> not when he's being Ironside. I'd say if I'm going to be Raymond Burr, I want to be Raymond Burr when he's Perry Mason. Or maybe in uh, Rear Window, where he's the killer. Um, <laughs> the sheer power of your prose presentation and argument put man and his ambulance-chasing lawyers on notice that they picked the wrong fight. No wonder they've been hiding behind the bike sheds for 13 years. What can you tell us about that business with the judge not allowing you to use the stack of books you had on the desk? You introduce yourself as a Canadian who was fading fast, do stick around. Blessings and prayers, Johnny Woodrow. Well, you know, it's no secret the judge doesn't like me and I don't like him, but at, at a certain point it gets ridiculous. Uh, you can, you can, de I've been up before enough judges 
in enough courts around the world to know that, uh, you know, this happens even in traffic court. I was uh, up against some judge in traffic court in Barry, Vermont. Um, it's typically sort of ridiculously Vermonty judge because he looked like ZZ Top, some guy from ZZ Top with his kind of beard down to his kneecaps and all the way. Anyway, I think he's been struck off now. <laughs> he's not a judge anymore. <laughs> the revenge of Stein. Anyway, he didn't like me at all. <laughs> it's just a traffic thing. But once you figure out the judge doesn't like you, you just um, shove it down his, th- his throat. He's consistently, he's at least consistently loathing of you. This judge is a little more complex because he's whimsical and inconsistent. And he, and he contradicts his own, whatever he rules, he contradicts his own rulings three weeks later. So we're now in trial and there's very basic things like what evidence is admissible uh, and, uh, and all kinds of other stuff that should in any functioning courtroom have been sorted out by now but it's not uh so he saw the pile of books and said you're not going to be allowed to show any of those to the jury and uh, because they're all books by michael there were all of them were books by uh, michael mann except one which was a book by me so then he says uh uh man's lawyer says we don't object to you showing man's books because he thinks they're great books and, and everything uh but we do object to you showing your own books so the, so then he changes it and uh, he says, I can show Michael Mann's books to the jury, but not my own book. It's garbage. The whole entirety of American justice is a joke. The rest of the common law world, you know, uh, uh, England, Australia, uh, Jamaica and so forth, they should all have a big meeting and expel uh, the United States from the common law club because it's an utter perversion of common law that's being operated here. Uh, I may well mention that to the jury if it tickles my fancy. Uh, Jonathan Groves says, Mark, I watched your opening statement. I thought it was great. And this is coming from a litigation attorney for whatever that is worth these days. Man's attorney is pretty monotone and boring as he sounds. You have the gravitas and stage presence to make a great presentation to the jury. Keep using it to your advantage. Keep emphasizing that there are no actionable damages. Even if there were, quote, actual malice, which is, I should explain uh, that term, because it's a legal term of art. Everyone thinks, you know, you have when they hear that in an American defamation case you have to prove malice, people think, well, Stein's toast because he's totally malicious. No, that's that may be the uh, understanding and definition of the word malice that you use for some miserable git you're sitting across the table from in a pub, uh, but it's not what malice means in American law. Uh, Jonathan says, even if there were actual malice, it seems man is not in a worse position than he otherwise might be, which you need to be uh, to uh, be actually awarded damages. I have not perused the docket of your case, but is the trial judge preventing you from introducing evidence you would have liked to present to the jury? Do you feel you will get to present everything you would like to the jury? Don't answer if this would hamper your trial strategy. I, I might as well say it. I mean, as I said, I think the judge is a little... Uh, what did I say? Inconsistent. I'm trying uh, to avoid stronger language here. 
he's he's uh, mercurial and eccentric in his rulings, and now we're in, and he's also quite slow. And we're now in trial, and uh, there's still loads of evidence that hasn't, that, you know, he hasn't ruled whether it's admissible or not, or in the end. And I can't stand the way that is, that, that American law and legalisms are not the same. And one of the reasons it takes 12 years here is because you spend 12 years arguing about things uh, you're not going to be allowed to show to the jury in court. You know, in the end, um, I'm not sure that will make any difference. The stuff that did get in, I mean, it's also interesting. One of the, here's the problem. Uh, uh, Michael Mann's lawyer is able to object to things and that means that you can't then use them. If he objects on a Tuesday and you're planning to use it on a Tuesday, you're screwed because the judge doesn't decide anything in a hurry. So he'll come back to you three weeks after the trial has ended and say, oh yeah, okay, that's admissible. This is what is frustrating uh, about him. David says, hi, Mark. First, I wish you a continued and speedy recovery. There's no chance of that. I'm exhausted. Um, we only had a three-day week this week in trial, and uh, by four o'clock each day, I am really wiped out. And uh, I'm, uh, and as I said, this was just a three-day week. So how it's going to go in a four-day week, I don't know. Uh, I was able to watch the proceedings yesterday from about halfway through the prosecution's fairy tale opening until you completed yours. I must say you did not disappoint, as I chortled several times out loud. Uh, that's what they call on Broadway a money quote, <laughs> David. <laughs> I chortled several times out loud. <laughs> it seems to me that the three sides, technically, are telling the jury they are fighting three different ideas. Man is arguing that climate change is real, because he made it up, and so arguing against him allowed is not allowed. And you guys cost him lots of money by associating him with his pedo friend. Oops, colleague. Rand, that's Rand Simberg, is arguing basically on freedom of speech grounds. Uh, you, Mark, sure sound like after 12 years of waiting, you want your day in court, you want all the truth to come out, and you hope to destroy man if possible. If that assessment is too harsh, I apologize. If it is accurate, I still have some listening skills. I wish you all the strength and good fortune to see this through. No, it's very basic. Uh, whenever anyone sues me, I stand on the truth of what I said. Um, because I'm on so much medication now, my memory is clouded. My brain is full of clouds from the pills. Uh, so standing on the truth of what I said is the easiest thing for me to remember, uh, because all the rest doesn't work. If you're a writer, this, this, this kind of is a general principle. If, if you're a writer, you are the product. You are the product you make and sell. It's you. And so all you have is your integrity and your reputation. And it's not, it's not feasible 
to start qualifying that. I don't know whether I've mentioned this before. I, uh, Alex Jones, you know, big, big time uh, American radio host, Alex Jones, uh, he was in a child custody dispute with his ex uh, in whatever state he lives in. And so his divorce lawyer was arguing in court against his ex-wife's lawyer. And his ex was saying that it's not appropriate for the kid to go and spend time with Alex Jones because Alex Jones is a crazy guy. You just have to listen to him. And the uh, Alex Jones's lawyer argued that Alex Jones is just a character he plays on the radio, right? That's not really a helpful, uh, a, a helpful legal argument for a public figure. Likewise, the idiot Fox News lawyer uh, argued uh, that uh, defending uh, Tucker Carlson tonight, the show, from some accusation or other of something it had said, that nobody uh, actually takes Tucker Carlson seriously and be believes any of that stuff. These are not helpful arguments. I've had lawyers like that who think it's all, all, all you have to do is just argue that it's just your opinion and you weren't stating it as fact. No, 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 I wrote it because it's the truth. That's if I didn't think it was true, if I didn't think it was factually true, I wouldn't have written it. And that's all I uh, stand on. Now, in this, and in this case, I think the truth is important. I, I think the stick is fraudulent. I've, th I've thought it was fraudulent for a quarter century now. Um, man is basically argue. Man's case is an appeal to authority. You know, as I, as I was saying, he said, oh, some government agency beginning with N has signed off on Michael E. Mann. Well, what do I care? I'm not an American. I couldn't care less about some agency beginning with N. What's that to do with me? The United States of America is a republic uh, that was founded in a rejection of the appeal to authority. You know, George III... George III's position was that he's the king and you're his subjects. Suck it up. And the American rebels said, nuts to that, we're out of here. And, uh, and there's no point to that if uh, 250 years later, uh, you, you're simply saying, oh yeah, we threw off the king to prostrate ourselves before the NSF or the NCA or the NRC or whatever the hell it is. Uh, so I think that argument is stupid. And I thought uh, that Victoria Weatherford, who is uh, the uh, uh, counsel for my co-defendant, Rand Simberg, uh, she was also standing on the truth. She was making a free speech argument, but um, in a sense, I take the free speech argument for granted, and I go beyond that. Man is a fraud. I think the, uh, the idea of pretending to be a Nobel laureate, or if, if you were in any... Uh, if you're in less of a craven media culture than American mainstream media wankery, uh, people would be disgusted. For some people, would find it preposterous. Man basically elect him himself, as I said yesterday, to the same pantheon 
as uh, Einstein and Marie Curie and Sir Frederick Banting and all the rest of us, rest of it would be utterly preposterous. He's nowhere near that league. He's simply uh, chosen to pass himself off as in that league and national public radio and uh, all these other eminent uh, bodies just introduce him as a Nobel Prize recipient all the time. He's a fraud from top to toe. He was, he was sitting there in court uh, listening to this, getting, you know, uh, urging his counsel to object to this and object to that. Uh, what's to object to? You're not a Nobel laureate. Give us the medal. Show us the medal. Show us the picture of you receiving your gong from the King of Sweden. Fraud, 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 fraud. Um, anyway, his lawyer has now said he's not going to be in court every day. <laughs> Michael Mann. Which is kind of incredible. You know, he, he's obligated to prosecute his case and he can't even be bothered. Uh, the, the, the burden is on him to prosecute his case and he's not even bothered to uh, come to court every day, according to what his lawyer, John Williams, said. You know, everybody in the jury, they have to give up their jobs and some of them, you know, uh, they're, they're a socioeconomic spectrum, so some of them, I'm sure, will have high-paying jobs, possibly even as uh, eminent and distinguished as we're told Mr. Mann is. Uh, but they've got to give up uh, their work for three weeks and uh, get by on 40 bucks a day for jury uh, service. And yet this guy, Mann, who claims he's been damaged and has been waiting 12 years for his day in court, can't be bothered uh, to come to court every day. Laughable. Uh, laughable. Scott Schertzer writes from Miami Beach, glad to see that you're already on the offensive and here's hoping that within just a few weeks time Dr. Man will be put in his proper place, which ought to be hell, which I hear is experiencing the brunt of global warming. It appears that a ticket to your courtroom is almost as difficult to obtain as a Taylor Swift concert. I'm keeping my fingers crossed that your jury consists of the last few open-minded people remaining in the District of Columbia. I've no doubt that you've already made a bigger impression on them than Bill Nye the science lie. Good luck for the duration of the trial and do your best to block out the dump that is Washington, knowing that the Caribbean is only five weeks away. Stay well and stay strong. Thank you for that, Scott. I must say, a month in this town uh, is really going to... Uh, really, really going to total me, I will say. I mean, that's before we even get to the courthouse. Um, I can't, I, I really can't, I can't get over this as the capital city of the global hyperpower. Something is uh, badly wrong. Richard Kasky writes, uh, 12 years in anticipation and you did not disappoint in response to some of the critiques of your opening statement, rambling over the line, etc. To most of us tuned in today, much of your opening was well-trod ground, but for the jury and others on man's side, this was likely the first they've ever heard most of what Mark said. Pressing the Sandusky-related points was critical because that directly answers the main points of the complaint. This is chess, not checkers. 
Mr. Hinderaker's appraisal, sometimes over the line, should be dismissed. Mr. Hinderaker, who I regularly follow on Powerline, along with Scott Johnson, Steve Haywood at all, tends to be a non-Trump pearl <laughs> clutcher. He is right on about most of his topics, but if there was ever a time to cross the line, it is now. As for qualms about Mark representing himself, there is no one on the planet I would rather have in the driver's seat at this trial, and that was borne out yesterday. Keep up the great work, and thanks to Anne, Phelim, and Amy for their efforts. I just ordered my Stein stick, full price, no discount, and it will be deployed along with all my Stein mugs and books in my personal free speech outpost in support of this very important effort. Maybe Friday's off for a good thing? Question mark? Take care, Mark. Um, yeah, John. John's concern was sincere. But uh, I had to get rid of, uh, you know, my law. I mean, basically... So many millions have been spent to such little effect. Now, what are you going to do uh, just before... When, when you've been in litigation for 12 years, changing lawyers is virtually impossible because the cost of them uh, getting up to speed on the previous... what's happened in the previous 12 years is going to bankrupt you. It's a, it's a, and I will say this, one of the useful things about other countries in the common law world is the distinction between solicitor and barrister, which you don't uh, have in the United States. And what is very interesting to me is that sometimes when you're thinking about, oh, I might hire this lawyer, and you figure out he's been a big shot lawyer, he's a partner or whatever, uh, and he's only actually done nine trials. You know, I've actually got more uh, I don't know anything about District of Columbia law, and from uh, what I've seen of it so far, it seems to be total crap. Um, but I've, I, in the various places that I've been dragged into court, I've actually uh, uh, acquired more, not for, not because I wanted it, but I've actually acquired more trial experience uh, than an awful uh, lot of people. Uh, than, than, than an awful lot of actual lawyers have. I'll just, uh, I'll leave it at that. Um, Mark Stein, uh, Clubland Q&A, back on a Friday because I'm in uh, trial at the moment, Monday to Thursday. Um, let's pause from the passing charivari uh, for a musical interlude. We will get back to your questions and we won't... Be doing all the questions on this stupid, what did I call it? This bloody stupid case uh, in some hearing or other a couple of weeks ago. Um, but, uh, but, but let's pause for a musical interlude. Yesterday in court, uh, the proceedings ended with plaintiff's first witness, Michael E. Mann's co-author, Raymond S. Bradley. <coughs> Pardon me. Uh, he was talking about tree rings and ice cores. Uh, Dr. Bradley uh, was musing on one of the drills he uses to drill into a large coral and extract from it. Pay attention. This is, this is science. You've got to follow the science. Must follow the science. Anyway, you've got to extract from it a solid tube of pure calcium carbonate. 
And Patrick Coyne, the out-of-control lawyer who was shoving Faye Macalair around the day before, uh, Patrick Coyne asked him to come up with the sort of everyday equivalent of what it looked like so that people could relate to it. And Dr. Bradley, who's English, said, quote, in England it would be called a stick of rock. And although I doubt that that meant much to the DC jury, it meant a lot to me. If you're in seaside towns, almost anywhere in the British Isles, also uh, Australia, a few other places in the Commonwealth, but not in the United States, you can get a cylindrical stick of boiled sugar flavoured with peppermint or spearmint and with the name of the resort printed down through the interior of the stick. Blackpool Rock or Brighton Rock or Thandidno for any of you Welsh listeners. Uh, and the last stick of rock I had was with my daughter a few years back in a seaside town just north of Dublin uh, where they were holding the annual Sandcastle competition and the local newspaper asked my daughter to stand in Kate Winslet pose in front of a gigantic sand Titanic. And afterwards, because it was a rather convivial occasion and the locals were friendly, uh, we treated ourselves to a stick of rock apiece. Get your ukuleles out and sing along with George Formby. Every year when summer comes round, off to the sea I go. I don't care if I do spend a pound, I'm rather rash, I know. See me dressed like all the sports, in my blazer and a pair of shorts, with me little stick of black rock. Along the promenade I stroll, it may be sticky, but I never complain. It's nice to have a nibble at it now and again. Every day, whenever I stray, the kids all round me flock. One afternoon, the band conductor up on this stand somehow lost his bat and it flew out of his hand. So I jumped in this place and then conducted the band with me little stick of black bull rock. With me little stick of black bull rock Along the promenade I stroll In my pocket it got stuck I could tell Cause when I pulled it out I pulled my shirt off as well Every day, wherever I stray The kids all round me flock A girl while bathing clung to me my wits had to use she cried, I'm drowning, and to save me, you won't refuse. I said, well, if you're drowning, then I don't want to lose me little stick of black bull rock with me little stick of black bull rock. Along the promenade I strolled. In the ballroom I went dancing each night. No wonder every girl I danced with stuck to me tight. Every day. Wherever I stray, the kids all round me flock. A fella took me photograph, it cost one and three. I said when it was done, is that supposed to be me? You've properly mucked it up, the only thing I can see is me little stick of black bull rock.
with his little stick of Blackpool rock. Written by Harry Gifford, Fred E. Cliff and Mr. Formby in 1937 and banned by the BBC because it was felt that lines such as In the ballroom I went dancing each night No wonder every girl I danced with stuck to me tight were not about confectionery at all but about something else altogether. A stick of rock. I thank Dr. Raymond S. Bradley, plaintiff's first witness, for reminding me of a delicacy unobtainable in this hellhole of a capital city. If that's a little bit English for you, don't worry. We have a jolt of pure Americana coming up for you in a bit. Mark Stein live around the planet. It is 28 to 4, Deep State Standard Time here in Washington, D.C. That is 28 to 9. Greenwich Mean Time a little behind, a lot ahead, according to where you chance to be on this turbulent earth. Tell you what, let's uh, take a question not uh, uh, directly related to my trial. This one's from Chris Davis. Mark, I hope you're as well as can be in the cesspit of DC and that your virtuoso performance has not left you too depleted. It is a pity indeed that your cardiac function <laughs> cannot be regenerated by your little grey cells. Enough toadying. Have you had a chance to acquaint yourself with developments at Michaela School in London? where Catherine Burblesing has banned Muslim prayers and the school is now being sued by a Muslim student. It would seem that lawfare and small-c conservatism increasingly go hand-in-hand hand, uh, these days, says uh, Chris Davis. Uh, the thing here, Chris, I think it's actually more basic than that. I'm just saying that because I was alerted... Uh, uh, to uh, Lord Frost's piece in The Telegraph uh, today, which begins by citing my famous line, the future belongs to those who show up. And then I saw something uh, similar just before I came on air over at uh, Kathy Gingell's uh, Magnificent Conservative Woman website. I don't think this, this wasn't by Kathy. Um, but I just happened to, uh, like another piece that uh, quoted my take on demographic destiny. That now, th this idea that the, the, the school would have Muslim prayers in order to be banned, uh, it would have Muslim prayers capable of banning, uh, <laughs> would have seemed ridiculous, even a relatively short time ago. But there has been a dramatic demographic transformation in the United Kingdom and in my own country, in Canada, in cities like Montreal, where uh, Jewish students are unable to put up an, uh, a, a, an exhibition of the people being held hostage, uh, still being held hostage by Hamas in Gaza, uh, because the dean has told them, oh, you're just, you're just going to be a target. So in other words, uh, because uh, the dean knows that the Muslim students will uh, smash up the Jewish uh, demonstration, it's easier to ban the Jewish exhibition than to try and enable it to go ahead securely. This is simply a reflection of what happens when you admit Islam in sufficient numbers to your nation 
that it becomes part of your domestic politics. And at that point, your domestic politics become the same as any other. Uh, there are 58 countries in the Organization of Islamic Cooperation, right? 58. That's actually over a quarter of all the nations on earth, all the quarter, over a quarter uh, of all the member nations of the United Nations. Uh, the Organization of Islamic Cooperation. Can you imagine what would happen if the United States proposed joining an international grouping called the Organization of Christian Cooperation? Can you imagine if the European Union were to propose joining the Organization of Christian Cooperation? Uh, the reason there is an Organization of Islamic Cooperation that is the biggest single voting bloc at the United Nations is because the practice of Islam is the defining element of their societies. You know, it's, it's not called the Islamic Republic of crappy stand for nothing. And what, so what happens when you import Islam in sufficient numbers is that that becomes then a feature of your politics. So these are basically last stands by plucky headmistresses. Oh, we're going to ban Muslim prayers. You know, I, uh, the, the, they still have Church of England primary schools in England because supposedly uh, they're, they're, they're Christian. They observe the state religion, the established Church of England. And anyone uh, over a certain age who's been to... Uh, church, uh, been to school in England, so, so that you know even if your parents aren't religion and they don't take you to church, they don't enroll you in Sunday school, you know all the hymns, you know all the hymn, children's hymns, all things bright and beautiful, all creatures great and small, uh, because you sing them at assembly every morning. Uh, and you know the Christian calendar, or you used to. Now there are Church of England schools in parts of England, such as Yorkshire, where it's still called, you know, whatever, St. Alphage's Church of England Primary School, but 96% of the pupils are Muslim. Demography is what determines things here. It's not going to be possible to resist Muslim prayers in schools that are overwhelmingly Islamic. And anyone who doesn't, you know, people who... Uh, don't want to endure that, are going to have to go elsewhere because they're not going to be providing Jewish prayers and they're not going to be providing uh, Anglican prayers either. This is simply what happens when you bugger your country so much that it becomes something else. And I've used this statistic, you know, from 2020, uh, that... Uh, 40% uh, of French school, French children under four are Muslim, are, are of an immigrant background, overwhelmingly Muslim. That's the future. You walk around European cities, including English towns, in the evening, you know, when the old people are like tucked up in their homes uh, watching Coronation Street or whatever, and you uh, look at the uh, dearth of ethnic English people on the streets, uh, uh, particularly in London after a certain time of night, uh, and particularly in cities like Brussels. Uh, 
cities like Marseille. That, that's, th this, is, this is a rearguard action being fought too late. I regret having to say this, but I wrote a book 20 years ago about this, so it's not my fault. It's the fault of all the... This didn't have to happen. These are the mo most advanced societies in human history, and they may not be perfect, but they're better than all the other stuff out there. And yet, uh, two generations of politicians have determined to destroy their own countries, uh, which is what has happened. Uh, JC of Western Supermare, speaking of England, says, Hi Mark, I hope you're holding up under the strain of your unwanted break in DC. I wonder if you're able to explain in general terms the main difference in the application of libel law as between the US and UK. I understand that in the UK it is possible to lose on the facts, but the plaintiff's reputation may be such that the resultant damages award might be as low as, say, one pound. Yeah, that, that's one of those things where uh, what they call nominal damages, the famous QB7 case, that uh, Queen's Bench 7, that uh, Leon Uris got a book out of, where um, it was, the verdict was of guilty was returned, but... Uh, as is the practice in uh, England, is that you're awarded as damages the lowest coin of the realm, which I think at the time of QB7 was a halfpenny. I, I'm not sure whether halfpennies uh, still exist in the UK now, so it might actually have doubled the damages to a penny. Uh, but, uh, but basically, uh, you get awarded the lowest coin of the realm. In the US, however, continues JC, I gather that the First Amendment plays a role in having regard to the defendant's right to free speech. How does this square with the damage to reputation aspect? Where does the onus of proof rest in your case? Well, for 60 years now, since uh, New York Times versus Sullivan in the 1960s, uh, that changed U.S. defamation law and made it completely different from anything uh, elsewhere in the, in the common law world uh, for public figures. Uh, I'm under that law. I'm a public figure. Michael Mann is a public figure. So he has to prove malice, which is, as I referred to earlier, is a, a, a legal term. doesn't mean the same as malice in life. Uh, what it means is that you published what you did uh, with either with reckless disregard for whether it's true or false or knowing that what you wrote was false, uh, which I, certainly isn't true in my case. I think the hockey stick is crap, crap, crabity crap and fraudulent. And as I said yesterday in my opening statement, for 23 years... Since the 1st of April 2001 in the Sunday Telegraph, I have said it was a crock in, um, uh, in, in uh, leading newspapers all over the world. The Telegraph in the UK, the National Post in Canada, the Australian. And uh, I think he's got a, a difficult job proving that. Uh, how this would go in a... Well, I, I, I don't even think he'd win this. England... And Northern Ireland, 
uh, are generally regarded as far more favorable uh, jurisdictions for a libel plaintiff than the United States. Uh, but I don't think he'd win in either of those uh, either. Uh, and uh, JC goes on, he says, I first became aware of the infamous hockey stick in 2008 from Christopher Booker's and Richard North's book, Scared to Death, from BSE, uh, that's mad cow disease, uh, to global warming. Uh, I dare say you knew Christopher Booker from your time with the Telegraph, that's true. Sadly, I no longer have the book. But my recollection is that Booker and North were very disparaging about man's work and its disproportionate effect on climate policy, leading me to believe that the graph had been completely discredited. The interesting point is that this predated the Climategate revelations. I think the book was published in 2007. Did its publication not attract any threats from man? Or was it simply published in the wrong jurisdiction? Well, we keep coming up with things that, that were far more prominent than what I said. And, um, and he, has, uh, he has not sued over any of those. Uh, keep up the great work, Mark, but more importantly, look after yourself. John Creasy in beautiful Western Supermare. Um, He's, he likes to punch down, and that's what he thought he was doing when he picked on um, Rand Simberg and when he picked on me, because in his world, where nobody's, he's far more cautious when it's to do with something uh, more prominent, such as a big media organization like The Telegraph. But he, he likes, he's the classic bully. He likes kicking the little man and if he'd done his due diligence on me, uh, Googled me, he'd have known that, you know, he was going to have to go all the way, because he's done this. Uh, there was a huge, it's come up in, it came up in Victoria Weatherford's presentation on behalf of Rand Simberg yesterday. The guy who did the parody song of Hide the Decline, uh, he did the parody video of Hide the Decline, and it went viral. Rush played it, but not only Rush, uh, the CBS Evening News picked it up and, and used a clip of it on the CBS Evening News. And so Mann's lawyer, Peter Fontaine, sent a cease and desist lawyer, mis a, a letter, misstating the law, because that's how these guys roll. So Peter Fontaine basically bullied some amiable schlub in Minnesota into taking the video down after it had gone viral and... and uh, uh, so mission accomplished for Peter Fondane. So man's other lawyer yesterday was going, oh, I just, he, he thought he had a big thing and it just fizzled out. No, it didn't fizzle out. It's because you uh, guys uh, sent, got out your hockey sticks and took the hockey stick to that guy in the back alley because that's how you guys roll. He's a thug, man. He's a thug. Um, the notorious Mr. J... <laughs> goes, naturally, all eyes here on the DC trial, and all wish you the best for that. I don't know. <laughs> International developments must not be ignored, however, and some of these are disturbing. What do you think of the following? Very recently, the chairman of the NATO military committee, Bob Bauer, stated that citizens of the alliance should be prepared for possible war with Russia. This comes shortly after a similar declaration by the government of Sweden. If these are just empty chest thumping, 
then they likely serve uh, no good and only inflame things. But if they're serious, then we could be in a heap of trouble. All those hopes of peace dividends and the end of history were just childish twaddle. It's likely we haven't evolved much beyond the cutthroat politics of the 19th century. Actually, say, but I, you won't to get me to share that on the 19th century. I, I always think the peak of human civilization was from the revolutions of 1848 uh, to the outbreak of the Great War in August 1914. And if I had my way, I would have loved to live in those years from 1848 to 1914. Um, there were far worse uh, periods of history to live in, and I think ours is shaping up to be one of those far worse periods. Uh, we're stumbling. We're going to stumble into, into world war. I don't think that's an unreasonable thing to say. Now, I, t I take it as read that some NATO apparatchik is saying it uh, simply as some sort of rhetorical device uh, to put Vladimir Putin on the back foot. Uh, so that's just more ineptitude. You know, they've, they've, we've blundered already into war in Ukraine, which doesn't particularly matter to Americans because Ukraine's a long way away. It certainly matters to people in Central Europe, in countries like Hungary and uh, Slovakia and Poland, uh, because it's, it's war on your doorstep and it's destabilizing of your country with the refugees. Um, and, it's, uh, and it's a fairly serious concern too in Western Europe. Uh, if that war were to spread. And the, and the likelihood is that given the incompetent leadership around at the moment, you know, uh, who's going to prevent, if you want to prevent war, is Joe Biden going to prevent war? Is Rishi Sunak going to prevent war? Is Emmanuel Macron going to prevent war? No. Nobody knows who these people are or how they wound up in the offices they purport to hold. You know, Joe Biden is uh, self-evidently not running uh, the government of the world's lone hyperpower. Rishi Sunak lost the leadership campaign and then mysteriously got installed as prime minister anyway. Emmanuel Macron was made in some factory. Uh, he's like a little miniature toy doll. And he, uh, again, he, he was sort of produced out of nowhere because Francois Hollande, the socialist candidate, uh, was absolutely unreelectable. So they had to have a, some, find some other man of the left to keep Marine Le Pen out. None of these people, are these the people? Is this the leadership class that is going to prevent us stumbling into war? Or are we actually not in August 1914, but are we saying... January 1914, 110 years on. And then we have the madman who penetrates the cabinets like Klaus Schwab, the sinister Teutonic megalomaniac hiding in plain sight as a sinister Teutonic megalomaniac who was caught on film the other day uh, saying that uh, private car ownership will be gone by 2030 and uh, there won't be uh, snarled traffic in Los Angeles anymore because people will be at home and all those freeways will be converted into parkland. We, are, we have either 
the brain dead like Biden or madmen like Klaus Schwab running things and they are going to sleepwalk us into world war. And by the way, I don't think uh, it's a safe bet that we are going to win any war that comes along. I would bet, for example, that if the United States had to use nukes for the first time since 1945, they wouldn't work. There was an interesting thing, I forget where I saw it the other day, uh, the, the, you know this nuclear triad thing, the, the, the three legs of the nuclear triad for delivering uh, nuclear weapons that Trump, they all laughed at Trump because he didn't know what it was. Well, there's no point knowing what it was because it's kaput. Because it's basically half-century-old technology, half-century-old, it's, it's 1950s and 1960s computer software, and all the guys who know how to operate it are dead. So some F, I think it was an Air Force guy, uh, said that he, he was concerned about that, that all his weapon systems, uh, all, all the nuclear weapon systems in particular, depended on software that nobody knew anything about, because uh, out back in the real world, uh, everyone's moved on from this software. So people who want to play video games or people who want to do AI porn, uh, they're all using the latest software and this stuff they use for the new delivery systems, nobody, uh, nobody is alive uh, who knows how to operate it. So I don't think it's going to go well for us if we do. Mine, uh, wind up uh, sleepwalking into war. Jeff Estes says, Hi Mark, I'm aware of your opinion regarding Trump's dim chances versus Biden. I, I'm, if, if this country had free and fair elections, Jeff, I think Trump would win. Um, but it's not going to be a free and fair election. As you know, they're uh, bouncing him from the ballot in two states so far. But even if he manages to stay on the ballot, um, they're planning. They, it's, theft is one of those things where you start low key. When you steal stuff, you start low key. You, so you just go into the candy store and you slip one Mars bar into your pocket or whatever. The kids in the general store when school is out, they all go in there and they swarm around and they secrete one, one little bag of chips or whatever. And, they, and then after you've pulled it off a couple of times, you get more and more brazen. Well, they pulled it off last time and they're going to have to be even more... Uh, brazen this time because they're going to need to steal a whole lot more votes. And that in itself uh, is, uh, is, would, would give certain people pause, but will not give the Democrats pause. That's all I mean when I say about Trump's dim chances. He'd be sitting pretty if he was in a country like uh, South Sudan that had uh, free and fair elections. Uh, Jeff goes on with the drumbeats getting louder to ordain Michelle Obama as the Democrat Party presidential candidate. I'd like your opinion on the results of that matchup. Best of luck in your man case and continued recovery, Jeff. Well, I don't doubt <laughs> that she wouldn't like to be president. Um, but listen, and I could see, I don't think she's actually, she's not, she never strikes me as a warm and likable person, which her husband, 
uh, when he's doing his charm shtick can be. I, I went to I went to see Obama uh, give a speech in when he was running first time round in southern New Hampshire, and I didn't think he was a great orator, but I could see he had a likable affect, and the crowd wanted to like him. And I think with his missus, the crowd wants to like her, and she can't quite pull it off. She can't quite put it over. Um, but I don't doubt that because of the boring racial politics of the United States, that there would be all kinds of NPR listening white women who would feel obliged to vote for her. The sort of people who buy the crappy books that uh, Michelle Obama and Hillary Clinton write, and they put them on the coffee table, and those books are never read. Those kind of people would uh, would vote for her in large numbers. But given the way our politics is headed, having a dead guy as president is actually far more useful to the permanent state, to the deep state, to the uniparty, to whatever you want to call it. The worse Joe Biden gets, the better it is for those who are teaching us the new rules. And it doesn't matter whether they're the new rules as in parliamentary systems, where you have months and months of a party leadership campaign, and then because the wrong person wins, uh, the deep state installs the guy they wanted anyway, or whether you do it uh, as they do it in, in, uh, in the US, you pretend that uh, Joe Biden has fought a magnificent, even though he hasn't left his basement in three years, he's fought a magnificent campaign. The fact that they're teaching you a lesson here, uh, as I always put it, uh, Trump was all candidate and no minders. Biden is no candidate and all minders. And the people who have destroyed American politics and made it a joke, uh, made it a perversion of politics in the same way uh, that its justice system is a perversion of justice, uh, would actually like it to be like that. Toby Pilling says, do you think governance in the UK would improve if we replaced every member of the House of Lords with one of the wrongfully accused sub-postmasters from the post office scandal. If you're uh, not British and you haven't been following this, uh, sub-postmasters are people who run basically post office counters out of their village shop uh, or whatever. So it's not a post office post office with uh, salaried uh, post office staff. It's, uh, it's, you know, it'll be a, uh, as I said, it'll be a little general store that uh, happens to have a post office counter in it where you can buy stamps and all the rest of it. And basically, uh, years and years ago now, the post office screwed up badly. It was their fault, but they pinned it all on the sub-postmasters and the politicians went along with them, and a lot of those sub-postmasters were driven to suicide and all the rest of it. So it's a big scandal in uh, the UK at the moment. If, and Toby wants to know, should we replace every member of the House of Lords with, uh, and make it the House of Postmasters, or the House of Postmasters General, or whatever you want to call it? Uh, that would be, anything would be better than the current composition of the House of Lords, which Tony Blair wrecked and has turned into a house of cronies. And um, the only, uh, there's far too many of them. 
I think I mentioned this before, that when you go back, when I was doing the 100 Years Ago show, and you go back and you look at the parliamentary votes from 1922 or whatever, on, on big issues like uh, the Palestine mandate uh, or the uh, Irish constitution, and you look at the votes in the House of Lords, there's basically about 100 active voting members of the House of Lords back in 1922. Now there's 800. And most of them are just the cronies of current, uh, of, of recent prime ministers. And they represent the day before yesterday's conventional wisdom. So they're all anti-Brexit uh, because instead of being sort of middle-aged pro-Brexit MPs, uh, they're instead, you know, uh, octogenarian pro-EU uh, peers. And they shouldn't, they shouldn't be there. They, I think there's, uh, uh, whatever it is, the 78 or whatever it is, hereditaries should be the only ones there. Because the only justification for a peerage is that the peer of the first creation is being rewarded for something. And he can be, and generally he's being rewarded for something that's a bit dodgy, as in Lloyd George's day, or to go back another uh, 120 years, the payoffs, as it were, with peerages uh, to members of the Irish House of Commons to vote to extinguish themselves uh, and uh, form the Act of Union with Great Britain. Uh, so uh, payoffs and peerage payoffs, in whether you're talking about uh, Ireland in the 1790s uh, or uh, pals of Tony Blair in the first years of this century. And the only justification for peerages is the first guy's getting it as a payoff, but uh, for his son and his grandson and his great-grandson, then it's all a crapshoot. Who knows who they are? They're just randomly selected, and you may have, a, oh, I don't think we should have a 12th Duke and a, 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 and a 7th Marquess running around, but in fact, uh, that the randomness of the hereditary peerage is better than the House of Cronies that uh, that Blair turned the House of Lords into. There's too many of them. Shouldn't be 800. It should be about 100. Uh, it's a disgusting institution. Our friend Norman Fenton writes, Mark, is the Washington D.C. court and the London court for the Ofcom case? aware and accepting of the fact that you are due to be away on the cruise from 24th of February to 2nd March? Or is it possible that in either case you could still be required to be in court during that period? I've booked the cruise so it would be nice to know you'd be certain to be on it, assuming you don't have your fourth heart attack or stroke before the ship leaves. If we haven't wrapped up the DC case by 23rd February, uh, I'm going on the cruise. I've just uh, sat yesterday and uh, I've, I've made the point to uh, the judge before that man has an obligation to prosecute his case. As I said yesterday, he's the designated driver. He called me a bastard. He, I'm the designated bastard. He's the designated driver of the case. He can't claim to prosecute it only, you know, for a couple of days here and there when he's, oh, he's a, such an important man, his heavy influential teaching schedule. You know, we had these pr prospective jurors 
Quite a few of them were teachers in the DC public school system, but their classes, they have to give up their classes and sit listening to all this crap uh, for $40 a day. Uh, but man, man expects them to give up their classes for 40 bucks a day as jurors, but he, he won't give up his classes. And I'm not giving up my crew, so I'm going to be on that cruise. I'm sick. America is so corrupt. It's one of the most corrupt of, it's certainly one of the most corrupt of English-speaking countries. It's certainly corrupt by the standards of Europe, Northern Europe, Northern Europe, very clean government, Scandinavia, uh, those kind of places, uh, Southern Europe, uh, Mediterranean Europe, corrupt. America is stinkingly corrupt. And the, the idiots prancing around, waving their constitutions, you know, put down the constitution and try to figure out why some 270-word blog post takes 12 years to work its way through your filthy, corrupt judicial system you're running in this capital city. Uh, and it takes each party, millions, well, each of the defendants, millions and millions of dollars just staying afloat. Now, I'm doing that. <laughs> I'd rather stay afloat on the Caribbean, Norman. So I will be on that cruise. Blunter Hayden. <laughs> Mark, thanks for the shout out in the day one trial recap for my Blunter Hayden nom de plume Zoom login. Strangely, on subsequent days, they wouldn't admit Mr. Hayden into the Zoom group. Thankfully, the Rimsky-Korsakov nom de plume did the trick on subsequent days. Keep up the fight. Yeah, they wouldn't know who Rimsky-Korsakov was. I'd love a little bit of Rimsky-Korsakov right now, actually. Uh, I may do Flight of the Bumblebee myself, uh, but that is a, that's, that's the thing. They just assume you're some sinister Russian oligarch and therefore a business partner of Hunter Biden. So that's a well-chosen uh, nom de plume, Blunter Hayden. Um, uh, Bart Marquois <laughs> writes, Hi, Mark. <laughs> First, it's pronounced Marquois. Not Marquois, in case you're interested. It's Greek, not French in origin. I knew that. I saw your first sentence, but I just thought I'd blow it deliberately. Second, best wishes, prayers, etc., etc. Our family continue to pray for your health and strength and vigor. We literally thank God daily for your indefatigability and determination in fighting to preserve liberty and pray that he will preserve you. Third, one note and one question. Note, please don't call Bill Nye the science guy anymore. He's the engineering guy. I think it was you that first pointed that out and I've called him that uh, ever since. No, 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 no. we got to get this right. Um, Graham Spanier, the president of uh, Penn State who wound up going to jail, he was the pedo enabler. Um, Michael E. Mann is the pedo enabler's pal. And so Bill Nye is not Bill Nye the science guy, he's Bill Nye the pedo enablers pals guy. He was looking rather uncomfortable in court as uh, man's closeness to the pedo enabler. 
was pointed out. Uh, if you'll allow a question not related to either legal circus, I'd like circus. I'd like to know some biographical information. Tell us about your education. Man has pointed out sneeringly that you don't have a college degree. You clearly have spent a lifetime in self-education. Please describe it, especially your years from when you first started in broadcasting at age 14, was it? Uh, what was the foundation of your education? I'm interested in your knowledge of music, the music of in industry, and the lives of performers, your literary interests, and your uncanny ability to find literary works that apply to current trends of the times, your technical knowledge, as well as your understanding of political philosophy. Thanks. I don't believe that people should have college degrees. I think there are certain academic. I mean, I don't want to pick on any of the prospective jurors or anything. But I was uh, interested when, you know, occasionally people would come up and the judge would ask them what they were, oh, I'm doing a master's or whatever. And uh, he'd say, oh, yeah, we, what's that about? And the, the, the judge would ask and uh, they'd be told, they would say, I heard, I heard fields of study I've never heard of before, like sustainability studies. Uh, a far smaller number of people should be going to university. Uh, people go to university because high school teaches less and less. My kids' high school experience was extremely undemanding. I had to do ancient Greek. And as I always say, I can still remember a lot of it. Hopistos doulos estinento potamo. Uh, and I get better from there. Um, and uh, that, that was at uh, King Edward's School in England, which, uh, as some of you will know, was J.R.R. Tolkien's old school and uh, Enoch Powell's old school and Field Marshal Viscount Slim. For any of you Australians listening, he was uh, Allied commander in, uh, in Asia during the Second World War and, uh, and then Governor General of Australia. And I'm, I just think, I, I think, uh, I, I'm, it's interesting that the whole triggering snowflake thing is designed to crush the essential ingredient of any education, which is curiosity. Now you're told there are forbidden thoughts. You can't wander down. Uh, that particular byway and start learning about, you know, Enoch Powell or Viscount Slim uh, or J.R.R. Tolkien or any number of other figures I've mentioned. These are all figures from just, uh, you know, a generation or two back, but, uh, but the past is dark, forbidden territory. And to avoid being triggered, you're best to steer clear of that. And, and we are destroying, uh, we are destroying uh, a generation of children uh, for that. I wonder if we've got time for one more. Michelle Dulac says, you go, Mark. Two questions. One, is it really a good idea to tell a bunch of DC voters that the city is diseased and depraved? Because man or his minions will be trolling everything you write for stuff like that. Two, are you actually doing this whole thing pro se? I don't have any choice in that. I've said this before. Uh, that uh, the French health system sent me a bill for 4,300 euros. That's about $5,000 for saving my life. They went to extraordinary lengths. I was within 15 minutes of death. And the French medical system saved my life. There was one question. They asked for my medical card that you have in France. I said, didn't have one. I'm Canadian. 
And so for the next week in the ICU, they call me Le Canadien. They're just, oh, uh, où est le petit déjeuner pour le Canadien? And, uh, and that was, abs uh, and, and they didn't, nobody asked about insurance or anything like that, not like uh, the American system. And then uh, a few weeks later, I got a bill for 4,300 euros, about $5,000. The lawyers, uh, the, the bill for the lawyers to uh, try to get uh, the uh, court date uh, postponed until I was well enough to fly back, uh, they charged me 50 grand for that. At a certain point, you just get sick of it. As for the uh, diseased and depraved capital city, I'm sorry. I'm in court. I have to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Uh, that's how I roll. And that is <laughs> the truth. And if it takes me down and takes me out, you know, uh, at least I will die standing on the truth. <laughs> I don't want to make it sound any more romantic uh, than it is, because actually it isn't. Uh, I'm finding it very difficult, and the thought of having to be here for another month is not cheering to me. Uh, this has been... Well, it's not has been, we're still here. We're, we're no has been. Uh, I heard somebody saying that about uh, one of man's lawyers, though, uh, just yesterday in the corridors. Uh, Mark Science Club and Q&A, Bill Hayes died a week ago at the grand old age of 98. He played Doug Williams on the NBC soap opera Days of Our Lives, off and on for over half a century, starting in 1970. Uh, his character, Doug, was a convict who was also a lounge singer. I may be living that reality by the time this trial's done. Uh, the character was killed off in 2004 but was subsequently discovered to be living secretly on a tropical island. And uh, so he was brought back and returned to the soap until Bill Hayes stepped down from the role just last year. However, however, at one time, Mr. Hayes was better known as a singer than as an actor. This was his biggest hit record and one of the biggest hit records of the age. On December 15, 1954, the president of Cadence Records, Archie Blyer, called Bill Hayes at home late in the evening and said he just heard a new song and would Bill be interested in recording it? Sure, said Bill. No big deal. And he came in next morning and did it in one take. Other chaps had a go at it, but the Bill Hayes single take version outsold them all. I promised you a jolt of pure Americana, and this is it. And as a mark of respect, I'm going to uh, introduce it with a classic American joke. Not as classic an American joke as your dirty, stinking, rotten, corrupt justice system, but pretty close. Question. How many ears does Davy Crockett have? Answer three, a left ear, a right ear, and a wild front ear. Davy, Davy Crockett, the king of the wild frontier. Born on a mountaintop in Tennessee, the greenest state in the land of the free. Raised in the woods so he knew every tree, and killed him a bar when he was only three. Davy, Davy. Crockett, the king of the wild frontier. He fought 
single-handed through the engine war. Till the creeks was whipped and peace was in store. And while he was handling his risky chore, he made himself a legend forevermore. Davy, Davy Crockett, the king of the wild frontier. When he lost his love, his grief was gone. In his heart, he wanted to leave it all. And lose himself in the forests tall But he answered instead his country's call Davy, Davy Crockett The choice of the whole frontier He went off to Congress and served a spell Fixing up the government laws as well Took over Washington so we hear tell And patched up the crack in the Liberty Bell Davy Crockett, serving his country well. When he come home, his politic and done, why the big western march had just begun. He packed up his gear in his trusty gun, and lit out the grinning to follow the sun. Davy, Davy Crockett, leading a pioneer. His land is biggest, and his land is best. From grassy plains to the mountain crest, he's ahead of us all, a meeting a test, and following his legend right into the west. Davy, Davy Crockett, the king of the wild frontier. with an all-American blockbuster, the sound of a Billboard number one record in the America of 1955. Music by George Bruns, words by Thomas W. Blackburn, the ballad of Davy Crockett. Davy Crockett was a cultural phenomenon in the late 50s. He even turned up in a Noel Coward lyric. Each man out there shooting crap does it. Davy Crockett in that dreadful cap does it. Let's do it. Let's fall in love. Indeed. And that coonskin cap sat atop a lot of American boys for a generation. Everybody sang that song, but Bill Hayes was the guy who took it to number one. He is dead at the age of 98. He patched up the crack in the Liberty Bell. Yeah, good luck with that. Cracked Liberty, the land of cracked Liberty. That'll do it for our show. Stick with Stein Online over the weekend. Rick McGuinness on the movie beat. Stein Song of the Week. And then we're back in court. Courtroom 518. Five one eight at the DC Superior Court. Don't miss Amy K. Mitchell's evening court reports and Anne McElhenney and Phelan McAuley's daily podcasts.
and uh, don't forget our limited edition Stein Online Liberty Sticks. Uh, our official Man vs. Simbergenstein trial souvenir. Every one of our Liberty Sticks is signed and numbered by me, but don't leave it too late. They're going fast, and when they're gone, they are gone. Uh, or alternatively, give your beloved the gift of a lifetime, an unforgettable week on the Mark Stein Caribbean cruise. Stay safe, stay free, stay well, stay out of court. Clubland Q&A is a production of Mark Stein Enterprises and Oak Hill Media. All rights reserved.